Natasha Holdaway, your 2020 board president. Curtis Bullock, CEO for the Salt Lake Board of Realtors. Dave Fredrickson, past president. Good morning, Mike Morgan, uh, board of directors, Salt Lake Board. Jennifer Gilchrist, director on the Salt Lake Board of Realtors. We are back talking about code of ethics again. So exciting. <laughs> um, I'm so grateful that we decided to do this um, series of podcasts because the conversations have been exciting. Um, you get into, you know, everybody knows the code of ethics exists and it's part of what sets us apart, but we have to take the class every three years now, but do we really know the code of ethics? And um, we have some incredible uh, panel guest today, um, as we did on article, or as we discussed article two, with a ton of experience. So again, uh, Dave and, and Mike and Curtis and Jen, thanks for joining us um, to discuss article three. Um, just as I did on the last episode, I'm going to go ahead and read article three real quick. And it states that realtors shall cooperate with other brokers, except when cooperation is not in the client's best interest. The obligation to cooperate does not include the obligation to share commissions, fees, or to otherwise compensate another broker. Um, this becomes an interesting one because um, there's a caveat to that when it's a property on the MLS, right? Because the, then we do um, require compensation and cooperation. It's the beauty of that system. So um, let's dive in. Um, I have something I wanted to bring up at first as far as this article goes. Um, I was representing a buyer in a very tight rental market in Provo where he wanted to buy a duplex and every property that we went to go look at had multiple offers. Um, I was in communication with the listing agent, you know, saying, don't pick anything yet. We're going to send an offer in. What number will we be? He said we would be number six. So I got a text back from him and it was actually a spreadsheet of all the different offers, what they were, what commission the buyer's agent was willing to take. And he sent me a follow-up text and said, hey, I accidentally sent you a picture, don't look at that. But of course I'd already seen it. <laughs> but the interesting thing was is there were several buyer's agents who had offered to discount their commission and take a different commission, right? There's no discount because there's no exactly. set commission, but exactly. take it different than what was marketed. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Other than what was advertised on the MLS as far as what the BAC was. Um, and I looked at that. He had also listed the companies and two companies on that list for two, rep, two offers that were represented by buyers were with the same company, which would be limited agency a little, you know, with the brokerage and I looked back at the listing and they did say dual and variable, but I was bringing this up with my brokerage and a lot of agents at our company had questions as to what that dual variable meant. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we wanted to kind of go into that a little bit. I'm so glad that you brought that up. I don't know if Dave runs into this, but whenever we get to that discussion in article three, I ask everybody if they have a good comprehension of what dual variable rate is. And they all say, yeah, yeah, we know. That's when um, you're paying a buyer's agent commission and you vary how much you're going to pay them based on whether it's a blah, 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 short sale, et cetera. And I have to say, no, it has nothing to do with the buyer's agent commission. It, it only has to do with an agreement between the homeowner and the brokerage listing the property 
and how you'll handle the different situations. And it's, most of them don't know, uh, Jen, about that. So we should make that they do know. Yeah, why don't you, you know? give us a definition? You and, and Dave immediately started smiling, <laughs> described this. You've clearly run into this before. So give us a good layman's term definition. It, 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 a seller and a listing broker enters into agreement for a fee. If there's anything that's going to change that fee or any circumstances that's going to change that fee, you need to disclose a dual variable rate, yes. For example, if, if uh, one of my agents does land development and they put 20 lots on the, on the mark and the seller will pay you know, X percent if you sell all 20, X percent if you only sell 10, X percent if you sell five, that is a variable rate commission needs to be disclosed. If you've made the deal with your seller, if I find the buyer myself, I won't charge you the full 6% or I'll split the savings that we don't have to pay a buyer's agent. That is a dual variable rate commission that needs to be disclosed. If I'm a buyer's agent and I'm getting ready to an offer and I see on the listing dual variable rate commission, I want to call up and see if my buyer is going to have a fair shake against your buyer if you've made a deal with the seller that if I'm not involved, the seller can net more. My That's something that I need to explain to my buyer. If it's the same brokerage though, that would still be the same, right? As the same agent discounting, they're um, doing it for less if they represent both parties? I, you know, it, it, I don't know. It depends on what that contract, I, I bow to the, the legal expertise in the upper right hand corner, but whatever that conversation is when the home is listed, I have seen, you know, if somebody from the XYZ team sells it, then your commission is this. If somebody, if I personally find the buyer, then your commission is this. And if we are cooperating with a broker outside, the commission is this. And, and the bottom line is if there's any changes, period in the commission rate that's negotiated between the seller and the listing broker, dual variable rate commission should be checked. Yes. So I would say the answer is yes to my question then, because it's the broker, not the individual agent that has that uh, obligation then, right, Curtis? Well, Jen, in that case, it depends on the specific agreement that has been written and signed. So it could be that they've agreed that if they, the, the agent, uh, let's, is the word double siding uh, illegal? Anyways, if the agent uh, who has listed the property is also going to represent the seller in a limited agency form, they may have agreed that they're going to give a reduced commission from what they would charge if they don't do both sides. They could have also had an agreement that if anyone in my brokerage sells the property, then it'll be this. But most of the time you don't see that. Um, and, but it could be in there. So we don't know unless they were willing to give you a copy of their listing agreement, which I'm sure they wouldn't. But that's where the answer lies is in that specific agreement. I've also seen agents that have said to the seller, you know, for example, if you find the buyer yourself, I will discount it this way and I will do the paperwork for whatever. To me, that's again, shortchanging what it is we do. I don't want to put my seller in competition with me to find the buyer. If I'm driving traffic to the house and my seller happens to be uh, mowing the lawn, I don't want them to have that off the 
off the record conversation to try to, you know, I, I mean, the seller and I should be working together as a team to find the buyer. And, and the dual variable rate commission can be used to enhance that relationship or it can be misused to put my seller in competition with me and, and create another issue. And, and, and so dual variable rate, like I said, if it makes sense and it's parties and it's agreed to, just disclose it. I, as a buyer's agent looking for properties, have the right to call you up and say, talk to me about the dual variable rate. And that's a protection under Article 3 that we're here to talk about. Jim, did you, did you run into that in a multiple offer situation? Yeah. So they yeah. had sent me that spreadsheet of breakdown. I think he meant to send it to his actual seller and he accidentally sent it to me. And, and that's why I was thinking about this. So I, normally I wouldn't have even thought about it because I, I wouldn't have known. But it showed what each buyer's agent was going to have to pay each buyer's agent and that contributed to the seller's net. Interesting. Yeah. Cause uh, multiple offers have been rampant lately. And uh, we, I know we're talking about article three, but, and when you talked about article one, I assume at one time you talked about standard of practice one 15, where it states that if asked, so in other words, the listing agent doesn't have to volunteer this information, but if Jen asks, the listing agent uh, about the fact that there may be multiple offers and they have permission to disclose from the seller, you have the right to ask those three questions. Are the multiple offers written by you yourself? So in other words, are you double-siding it? Or is it written by one of your friends in your same brokerage that there may be some reason uh, that I might want to be concerned? Or is it from just an outside brokerage or cooperating brokers, they call it? And you have That's the right to ask to that and answer those three questions. And the, the realtor has to be honest in telling you those answers. Because a lot of realtors I see don't want to do limited agency. So they'll refer that buyer out to a colleague of theirs and get a referral fee from it. Um, okay. We actually discussed this a little bit in um, the podcast on Article 1 where I was, as we were recording that podcast, I just happened to be in a situation where the offer that I made on the property was in a multiple offer scenario with an, um, where the, the listing agent represented the buyer as well. And he disclosed without me even asking, he, we actually ended up winning the way he approached it was very professional and it left such a great taste in my client's mouth. You just go, oh, that's how it's supposed to be done. You know, like you, I was just so proud of that agent and the way he handled it. Um, so that's great. Well, let's cool. dive in. I want to, I want to talk about um, standard of practice um, 3.2 because I think this is one that, or excuse me, not 3.2, 3.1. Um, where we're really talking about, how do you protect yourself um, at, for the work and value that you that you bring? And um, it's not to be uh, assumed that compensation is there, right? Um, if you're if the property is not already dictate or the compensation is not dictated by a property listed on the MLS, then um, make sure that you protect yourself, whether it be through the commission escrow agreement or whatever. But the standard of practice reads 
terms of compensation, if any, shall be ascertained by cooperating brokers before beginning efforts to accept the offer of cooperation. Um, and I think this brings up an important reminder circling back to the incredible importance of actually describing and explaining the buyer broker agreement with your clients prior to going out and explaining to them how you get compensated, how it is there, like they are hiring you, it's their fee that they're hiring you and responsible for, and then discussing the, the different scenarios at which um, and how that would get paid. But anyway, just a good reminder there. Um, going back to old school, once again, Mike is older than me, Party. but we can get into that. But, um, <laughs> you know, we yeah. are in a, the entire organization, the realtor organization was founded on the principle that well, you and I can do a better job for our clients and customers if you and I cooperate with each other. And, and it has nothing to do with the compensation, but you and I share information. If I've got a buyer and you've got a seller, it's our, it's our obligation to communicate with each other in, in order to, you know, serve the best purposes, do our job that we were hired to do. So, you know, the communication part of things and cooperation part of things are different than the compensation part of things. The compensation part of things um, if, if I work out something and I get permission through the listing agreement that I am able to share with another agent, the fee that my seller has negotiated, then I offer that across to whoever. And, and that's the multiple listing services generally where we have that, that offer of compensation. The question bodes is, is if, if there's a non realtor brokerage, that's not a member of our MLS that brings an offer on my listing, am I obligated to share compensation with that person because I haven't offered it to them? I haven't offered it through any other means besides the multiple listing service. And I've seen a lot of agents over the years say, well, I don't even have to pay him. Well, again, is that in the best interest of our client? And you and I should possibly be communicating and I don't know if that discussion is one for a text message. You know, pick up the phone and talk to the other agent and say, here's the situation. There are a lot of commercial brokerages out there that are not a member of the Realtor Association. They haven't offered to pay you anything. So that should probably be a conversation you have at the very beginning. I have some people that may be interested in your property over here. Are you going to cooperate with me and what is the compensate rate that you're offering and send over broker escrow instructions. So that piece is off of the table. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. There's my thumb. <laughs> For those of us, that, those of you that can't see Mike's yeah. agreeing with both his nodding of his head and his thumbs up. So yeah. Good job, Dave. Any um, anecdotal, you know, stories or anything that you guys have that you want to bring up to talk about the, the application of these standards of practice that you've seen in your years. Um, I, I talked, as a matter of fact, I taught a code class last week and I, I, I struggle with this one only because, as I said earlier, in order for me to do my job and do my job correctly, as my client is expecting me to do, it's, it's my obligation to cooperate with you and communicate with you and, and all that kind of stuff. 
this article basically says, um, you know, um, except when cooperation is not in the client's best interest. I struggle with that because I, I it's it's very unique situation when it's not in my client's best interest for you and I to communicate. And there are very few examples. There was one a few years back where there was a a divorce situation. Um, uh, one of the soon-to-be ex-spouses had control of the property that was available. There were allegations of abuse, et cetera, et cetera, and restraining orders. And as soon as it hit the market, um, the best friend of estranged spouse tried to schedule an appointment for the property. It was determined that it was not in the seller's best interest for those agents to cooperate with each other. Other than something extreme like that, I struggle with finding when it's an appropriate time for you and I not to talk. So article three is, is again, it's a clarification of what our entire organization was founded on, is the cooperation between you and I for the best interest of our clients. Yeah. Alicia, I have my favorite story when it comes to Article 3. I love that one. I had only mentioned earlier the multiple offer situation. I didn't want to go back and backtrack that. But if you're in a multiple offer situation, I think Article 3 gives you some protection that you can ask the listing agent about the dual variable rate. It also goes further and allows you to ask exactly what the differential is. We're not talking about uh, 911 gears with posi traction. We're talking about the difference between whatever the percentage was that was going to be charged originally and how much less is going to be charged in that particular situation. So knowing that number, I, I think at least gives a competing buyer's agent the ability to adjust the numbers to be competitive if they want to be. So I think that's a good article there, Article 3-4 specifically, sorry. Uh, so the Article 1, uh, once you complete that 1-15 uh, uh, standard of practice, it leads you to 3-4, which gives you some more opportunity direction. But my, my favorite story on 3-2 is the uh, story of Mr. Big. Um, I think that was his last name. Have I told you this, Dave? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so, Mr. Big had a listing, and uh, it was a great listing, very expensive, very nice. And uh, one of the agents that I knew, um, that I worked with, uh, had shown properties for uh, 40 days and 40 nights. And she had the audacity one day to take off for her daughter's birthday, which she did. But, you know, she should have been working, but she took the day off and that's okay. And uh, while she was taking the day off, her clients, you'll never guess, were still looking around and drove past a house and called the agent and simply asked uh, if it was still available. And, the agent said yes and was all excited about this. And they said, well, we'll, uh, we'll check into uh, seeing this property tomorrow. So the following day, they were loyal clients, went to the agent that had been showing them houses and said, look, we'd like to go view a home today that we saw over the weekend. They didn't go in it. They didn't make any promises. They just asked if it was available. And so I can see where that gets a listing agent excited. So they looked at the home and lo and behold, it was the right home. They wrote an offer and they uh, 
the agent uh, called the, the buyer's agent called the listing agent and stated that they were sending over an offer. So the agent that uh, was representing the seller was so excited because he's thinking maybe two offers are coming in and the offer arrives and he reads it. It comes through his fax machine or email, whatever they used at the time. And he sees the name of the client and he's enraged. He's just, he's just blowing up. So he runs over to his computer. He starts typing on his keyboard, enters the MLS, changes the 3% BAC in this case down to 1% and goes, okay, that solves that problem. And of course it did. And uh, as time went on, I heard about it. My agent said, look, I, I know he did that, but I, I really want my client to get the home that they truly love and have wanted. And I don't want to get involved in this and do anything that would jeopardize it. And I told her, you know what? I, I like that attitude. I think that's great. And uh, I, I think that's the right way to be. And however, I'm going to make a call if you're okay with that. So I made a call to the agent. We had a talk and he explained to me uh, all of his credentials. And he explained that he was on the very top of the heap as far as all of the people in the real estate world. And he uh, told me that he could change the compensation and that he had been doing it for 30 years and he would tell me how it worked. I wasn't going to tell him how it worked. So I said, well, if you, you know, if you've looked at article three, specifically standard of practice three dash two, you'll note that it doesn't allow you to change compensation after an offer has been generated. And this is the point. Um, Knowing about the code of ethics is really valuable, especially in a case like this. I wasn't trying to be argumentative. I just said, if you'll look at that, you'll notice that this is how it should work. And he says, you know, I haven't kept up on that. I didn't realize that that had changed. He says, well, we'll straighten this out. And we became good friends and it worked out just great. And I didn't have the heart to tell him, well, I don't think it's changed since 1913, but uh, <laughs> it, it actually it did change just a little bit over time. But it worked out great and knowledge of article three is good because you cannot change that after the offer has been, I think it's, it's changed to where it has to be presented. Once it's presented, you can't change the BAC. Can you imagine the bait and switch we could do out there? If you yes. could offer 10% BAC. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, now that you've written the offer, it's only one. So uh, it's a good article. It's very protective. Unfortunately, you know, the bait and switch comment does go along with article one and article two, as far as, you know, misrepresentation and all this kind of stuff. And generally speaking, that is for the agent's benefit. And once again, taking the agent's benefit out of our obligation to our clients and customers is probably going to solve a lot of issues right now. Uh, going with article three things that I see being stepped on right now, especially with the low inventory we have and, and that type of thing, um, an agent, for example, we now have the clear cooperation policy that says if we're doing any public marketing, including signs and that type of thing, we have to share that information on the MLS. So there are agents that are dragging their feet or, or whatever in, in hopes of finding a buyer or whatever I assume, but, um, uh, the lockbox isn't installed yet or whatever. And, and they're delaying the availability of showings to cooperating brokerages when in fact the keys are in their pocket. And if their job is correct, they would meet the people there and open it up rather than say, you can't show it. The box isn't on the house yet. So standard of practice, um, uh, where are we, Mike? Um, are you talking about, Article three, 
3.8, realtors shall not misrepresent the availability of access to show or inspect a listed property. Yes. Uh, people dragging their feet for the, those first few days or putting a sign up and it doesn't hit a cross. I mean, there are all kinds of ways that Article 3 can be looked at in a tight listing market like we have right now. Um, presenting offers, um, you know, it's, it's talking about the disclose the existence of accepted offers, including those with unresolved contingencies to any broker seeking cooperation. So, hey, Mike, you've got a new listing over here and, and uh, um, I've got some people that are probably interested. They definitely want to show it. Do you have any offers? Well, you have an obligation to disclose. And what if your seller says you don't, they don't want you to tell about, you know, multiple offers or existing offers or, or things like that? Um, how do you handle that? I'm sorry, Dave, I'm not at liberty to discuss that right now. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, happy to present that to the seller and see what they uh, direct what direction they'll give me. Right, and a lot of agents, or no, I shouldn't say a lot, hopefully, but um, I'm not going to tell you is certainly not the same as I'm not at liberty to say, or I need some direction from my client instead of none of your business. And <laughs> and again, how how we communicate and interact with our agent uh, with with our fellow realtors a lot of times can eliminate the argument you know talk and and explain and this is what i've been instructed to do and i hope you understand and appreciate and yada 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 but it's back to article two uh, you know uh, or article three communicate you and i cooperate with each other i'll explain to you my situation i absolutely have no problem doing that do you understand and how can we get this thing to the finish line? And, and that's what I think article three is about. I, th I think we, it, as you guys talk through this and um, I'm so grateful for your expertise and, and wisdom and years of teaching the code of ethics. And I just, I so appreciate the two of you being on here. Um, the thing that just keeps coming up for me is it get, and it feels so elementary and maybe a little naive, but at this, at the end of the day, why are we do what are what job do we have here and cooperation and compensation communication. It's the whole purpose of our system, right? It's the beauty that keeps everything moving and the way the reason we can go out. I have a friend, a good friend who's a realtor in another state that doesn't really operate on the MLS at all. Um, and it's a disaster. Um, listening to the conversations that have to be had before they ever even show a property because of just kind of the, the lack of cooperation. Um, we don't want to end up there. We all benefit from the beauty of this system and it only holds together if we cooperate and work together. And uh, the, the interest that we protect is that of our clients. And holding true to that and, and, and putting that in front of our own interest is the only way we will continue to be able to do what we do, you know? Alicia, I, I, I love that. And I've, I've said for years, as I think about the, the multiple listing service, I, I would argue that it's one of the greatest uh, business inventions, uh, ways of doing business, whatever you want to call it, that's ever been devised. Because if you think about it, you take 
thousands of, of, of competitors and you figure out a way to have them cooperate with one another and all in the interests of helping their consumer, helping the free exchange of real estate and, and the ability for a buyer to buy, a seller to sell in a smooth way, I just can't think of a, a better system that, than what we've got. And I, I think it's honestly the, the envy of other parts of the world. And you've, you've said that even other states don't use an MLS and, and have this spirit of cooperation like we have. And I, 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 we can't take it for granted. And there's some that might want to challenge it. But truth be told, it, it, at the end of the day, has helped millions of consumers purchase and sell real estate and has been one of the greatest inventions of all time in my view. Absolutely, and, and, and could not agree more, Curtis. And, and taking that one step further, uh, again, the cooperation part of one thing, and somehow along the line, when, when I got into real estate, and again, we were chipping offers out on stone, but when I got into real estate- I tell you. There, <laughs> there, there was no internet. Heck, very few people had cell phones. And the MLS was the the book that you read about in history school. And it's also a booster for a high chair. <laughs> the the fact of the matter is, we were still selling houses, and we were still doing it because we would talk to each other. And again, it's the it's the crux of the the cooperation and communication, if if you will. Somehow along, when when Al Gore invented the internet. Somehow along, we, we became almost adversarial. We're hiding behind emails. We're hiding behind, you know, suddenly we can't have buyers and sellers meet at title companies. Heck, we used to have them sit at the same table on closings. We don't need to be adversarial. And, and the openly sharing of, of information, of, of ideas, of, of, you know, the, the guidelines that you've been instructed to work under and what are the needs of your buyer? And let's see how, I mean, that whole communication piece, in my opinion, has been lost in the ability to not have to pick up the phone. And, and so when I'm cooperating at quote unquote with another agent on a transaction, my first conversation with them is I want this to go smooth. I want you and I to be able to openly communicate how do you like to communicate? Is it via text message? Is it via email? Is it via pick up the phone? And let's set the ground rules on how this transaction is going to be successfully completed with both of our participation. And a lot of the times the expectation of one person is different than the expectations of the other person. And it's not intentionally not cooperating but let's face it, we've got some people out there that don't know how to email. And Mike, Mike slipped up here earlier and said the fax machine. It's there, guys. You know, we've got different generations that we're out here playing. It's not their job to play the way I like to play. It's our job to find the way that we communicate and cooperate with each other for the interest of our clients. And I could not agree more with Curtis is that has made the realtor organization the envy of many, many other industries. And, and it will continue unless we screw it up. And, and that's why we're having this conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I think it, it's, again, comes back to, um, like, are you looking short-term or long-term? 
right? Like if you get so blindsided by, Ooh, I want to protect this one thing or, or I could make an extra whatever, or whatever the case may, may, may be in this one transaction, you're losing sight of the very thing that is allowing you to do to, to play in the first place, right? Like you can't go play on the field without the whole system, right? And so we've got to keep the purview to be really big picture and understand that we all have to cooperate for this to continue for you guys, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago and 25 years in the future. Um, so anyway, I just, yeah, I think the, the conversation is really important and just the reminder that this is a big long-term game. Um, as, uh, Curtis mentioned, you know, millions of consumers that we've helped protect and guide through this, um, uh, big transaction in their life. Oftentimes how that goes comes down to, um, the cooperation of, of you and I. Well, so, and, and, and again, to piggyback off of that, Alicia, and, and thank you for saying that, the, the, you know, some of my very best friends in the world, including Mike Morgan, I met on the other side of a real estate transaction. Uh, it kind of concerns me what the relationships will be 25 years from now based on a text message. And, and you know, we, we talked, we whatever, and, and again, not meaning to preach, preach to the choir here, but, you know, the cooperation part of things is one component and that's what it's defined in article three, but the communication part I think is every bit as important and, and can be wrapped up also into cooperation. It's, it's um, for the best interest of our clients. The entire organization was founded on the principle that you and I work with each other and, and uh, you know, 25 years from now or 25 years ago, um, with the evolvement of technology, things will change again. And it's our, our duty. You know, I, I got to spend, uh, lucky to spend five, six years on the National Association of Realtors Professional Standards Committee, where, where we discuss each one of these standards of practice and articles and how it evolves through time, um, to be more, uh, compatible with today's business and today's real estate industry. And it is an ever evolving code of ethics. And, but the basics, the principles of what this is about aren't going to change. Read but the they, preamble of the code of ethics. If you, if you, if, if we had the ability to, to everybody work as to the preamble of the code of ethics, there would be no reason for 17 articles and 113 standards of practice that follow it. You know, it's, it's very idealistic and it's probably a little idealistic for me to think that it's not going to, you know, whatever, but at the very base, you and I talk with each other, you and I share information, you and I cooperate, we do a better job for our clients and that's long-term. Yeah. But Dave, let's go back to that conversation where we met and uh, the, the two cans with the string between them. So, uh, yeah, I, I want you guys to know that Dave did an excellent job of beginning that conversation in a cooperative manner. And he set the tone and it's a really good example. And it leads me to what all of you have been saying from what I'm hearing from you is that we have a responsibility as either leaders in the community or experienced agents in the, in the real estate community or even fairly new agents. And that is to 
work on our professionalism, professional communication, and uh, don't uh, don't cut yourself short. You are a professional, and you really should think about uh, the responsibility that comes with that and aspiring to be the communicator and giving good example like uh, I was just talking about in Dave's conversation. That example goes a long way. It permeates our system. And uh, I sure appreciate what you were saying to Alicia about looking at the overall purpose behind this and the underlying uh, the underlying philosophy of what we're doing. And you, you're, you're really good at pointing that out. And I think that's going to help everyone. I have, I have an agent newer selling quite a few houses, did a transaction last week and, and, and actually quite a few transactions she's done. I'm amazingly well, but she came to me the other day and she goes, Dave, I just did the most incredible transaction. And I go, well, good for you. And she goes, it was from a lady who said that she knows you. And I said, who is that? And, I, and, and first of all, I knew that, that they actually had a conversation because my name came up to it. Anyway, she did a transaction with Miriam McFadden. Miriam McFadden, old school real estate, as professional as you can get. And, and every transaction, you are my friend. How do we get there? And... And that's the professionalism that that old school brings. Miriam might not be, and she very well may be, the most technological person. That's where my challenge is. But the basics of real estate done right, long term, very professionally, is is an example. Are some of these uh, experienced? agents out there and and Miriam shares the way this organization is supposed to be operating and if we all did that it'd be a great place and Dave I would I would have to to I mean as a reminder I have to interject that I think we need to be careful at like uh, years in business equal professionalism right no, no. um I've some of the transactions that I've done that have been the smoothest most uh, professional transactions have been with fairly new agents that are so eager to do things the right way and they asked questions of their broker and they even asked questions of me or you know whatever um, at the end of the day it's what is to your very point really upholding the preamble and the ideal that is set there that doesn't take years in the business yes we gain wisdom and perspective and exp experience and context and all those things but at the end of the day if somebody has the integrity and the desire to do things right they're probably going to right absolutely and i couldn't New agree more and and to be perfectly honest with you some of the very best agents are the ones that are are fresh on the rules and there are a lot of the old dogs out here myself included that have forgotten many of the things that the new guys are fresh on so absolutely yeah. uh, professionalism does not equate with age my yeah. example with Miriam, there is a professional that happens also to have years in the business and at that that to me is proven professionalism um will sustain time and I mean, she's like the most epic cameo of our videos year yeah, absolutely. ever. <laughs> absolutely. There is only one Miriam. Hey, I want to get away from talking about up. older people. Can I mention before you go, Alicia, that yeah. uh, the newer um, adopted 
standard of practice 3-11. So that's where I was just going to go. Oh, please take, uh, tell us about that, would you? <laughs> well, it's interesting because Dave, you were talking about it being an ever evolving thing, or maybe Mike, you mentioned that, but um, yeah, just barely January of this year, um, standard of practice 3-11 was adopted. And I think especially given the current climate in our country, we would be remiss uh, to end this conversation without discussing this standard of practice. Uh, it basically reads, Realtors may not refuse to cooperate on the basis of a broker's race, color, religion, sex, handicap, familial status, national origin, sexual orientation, or gender identity. Essentially, the protected classes within fair housing, right? And that goes back to the previous podcast episode that we did on fair housing. Again, if you haven't listened to that, I would highly encourage you to do so. Um, and, and this goes to not only... Um, uh, with clients and members of the public, but also within cooperation. Um, I think it's an incredibly important reminder that, in fact, I'm going to take this moment um, because I have the mic <laughs> to encourage everybody to, on NAR's website, there is a video that talks about um, illicit biases and biases that we maybe sometimes don't even realize we have. And oftentimes, just in our day-to-day -day actions, we could be um, showing the, we could be violating these protected classes without even recognizing that we're doing it. Um, and so just a, a reminder that uh, it's incredibly important as we discuss professionalism and integrity and upholding the ideal of the preamble um, that we allow equal access to all. So on that note, um, again, thank you guys for your incredible wisdom and Mike, the ever uh, king of dad jokes and um, <laughs> all of your all of your wisdom and experience. I appreciate all of you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.